Woo! Goodness. That, that song just gets you fired up right there. I got to preach two services, so it's, I can't sing that song with the vigor I want to <laughs> sing it with, or else I won't be able to preach the second service. So I was backstage having my own time with the Holy Spirit. We were, we were dancing back there. It was good. But uh, hey, man, just going to transition from La Montaña to the book of Ruth. I mean, it's just seamless, <laughs> seamless transition because there were a lot of mountains. They had to muevete, right? Are you with me? You got it? All right. Amen. So we are, we are continuing our, uh, our series on, on drawing near to God here in 2019 and Hopefully this is helpful uh, to you in your, in your spiritual walk, and we are grateful for those of you that have maybe, perhaps you attended one of the Women's Days uh, that have uh, just gone uh, on over the last couple weekends, and we're grateful for you being here. And, uh, and if you're a husband or a brother or a friend that, that came with them, we just want to tell you welcome, and we hope that you can come back and, and keep worshiping with us as we try to draw near to God. Because life is crazy, isn't it? Sometimes life hurts, doesn't it? And we got to figure out how to draw near to God even, even, when, even when life hurts. Uh, a lot of times we, we can draw near to God when we feel like trouble's coming upon us. Do you know what I mean? And we get real close to God then. Some impending trouble down the way. We, we pray, we, God, please, right? And, and what happens uh, when things don't turn out the way you want them to? Then sometimes instead of drawing nearer to God, we withdraw from God, right? And, that, that, and that's not how we want to be, right? And for those of us, if we're parents, if, if our kids did that, or even if our best friends did that, something bad happens, they just don't want to talk to you, you would go, hey, come on, man, that's a little immature. Let's, let's figure this thing out. But we do that with God all the time. Things don't go our way. Instead of drawing near, we withdraw, Right? Or, or in, in other scenarios, maybe you honestly made a bad decision in your life. You know, it happens, right? You make a bad decision, and then after that decision, other bad things start happening to you. And then all of a sudden, you start feeling guilty, and, oh, God's punishing me, and he, he doesn't love me anymore again. And instead of just drawing near to God with a repentant, open heart, God, I don't know what's going on. A lot of times when those things happen, we would draw and just feel guilty and feel like God doesn't love us anymore those things happen. We, again, we can't let that happen in our relationship with God. When life hurts, when bad things happen, when we, we expect good and bad comes, when we make bad decisions, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to be near us. We have to take it upon ourselves to draw near to him. And we're going to look at a, a chapter in, in the Bible that, quite frankly, there are moments in this chapter to Western ears in 2019, we're like, what in the world is going on? But we're going to look at it, and hopefully we'll learn from God's word this morning. So let's pray uh, for God to use this time. Well, Father, we do want to draw near to you. So grateful to be reminded during our time of the Lord's Supper, just to be reminded of how amazing Jesus is and how he's given his life to us and his teachings, we still want to live out every day and spread his teachings around this world. And, and uh, Father, we, wanna, we want to draw near to you in, in, in fasting and in prayer, and, and we don't want to be the type of people that only draw near to you when things are going great. Father, if anything, people tend to forget you when things are going great. 
and we tend to rely on ourselves. And during this time in prayer, I do want to specifically pray uh, for those families that were impacted in New Zealand. Uh, Father, what a terrible tragedy. Uh, no one should ever have to deal with that. And Father, it makes us cry out, what is wrong with this world? And God, we know what's wrong with this world is that people really aren't following you and they don't embody your heart. And we pray for those families. And, uh, and Father, I pray that this morning, that this morning, that you can use this time to help us grow in our relationship with you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, we don't have a ton of time, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the review. The best way to review is go to nrcoc.org and look at the first two sermons, right? That's a great way to do it, right? But we know in Ruth chapter 1, life was challenging. Women are losing their husbands. We got three widows. Wow, times are hard. Ruth and Naomi, oh, who could even talk about their pain? But Naomi makes that amazing decision. You know what? I'm, I'm going to stay here, but you guys go. But then Ruth says, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to connect with you. And they decide to go on it together, and it's a tough situation. Chapter 1 is a lot of challenges, but we noticed that even though bad things were happening, it just seemed like Ruth and Naomi kept trying to walk towards God. And in chapter 2, well, Tom talked about it last week, you know, we appreciate, you know, Ruth's uh, heart to go out there and work hard. They didn't just sit around and mope about their situation, and, and I appreciate last week, you know, as it turned out, you know, God was working behind the scenes, and uh, that was very powerful. We got introduced to this guy named Boaz, and we got to see his character, uh, and so it kind of ended up where, where Boaz really took care of Ruth and helped her uh, as she was uh, harvesting, and we were like, oh, maybe the story's starting to turn with that kindness. And so now we pick it up in chapter 3, and it begins one day. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, whose servant girls you have been, uh, a kinsman of ours? And right here, what I appreciate is, if you remember the first part of chapter 2, remember what happened? First part of chapter 2, Ruth was the one that was like, look, between the two of us, I'm the one that needs to go work. You're older, I'm younger, I can go out in the fields, I'll go work. You're hurting, you've lost your husband, you've lost two sons, I know you're not in a great place, but you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to work. And we appreciate that about Ruth. She went out and worked hard in the fields. And that was the beginning of chapter 2. But notice in the beginning of chapter 3, now almost seems like Naomi, maybe she's kind of worked through some things. And now she's like, let me figure out a way to take care of you. You know, and isn't that good when, when people, people been there for you and you appreciate it. But then sometimes the tables turn and they, they want to re reciprocate. You know, I had a lunch with uh, Steve Burrows and Luciana. We get together every couple weeks, and we were just talking, and, the, and the, just the topic came up. You know, we appreciate Women's Month, and that's fire. We fire up. We try to invite women to stuff, and it's great. But we were talking about, like, how can we galvanize the brothers, right? You know, what, what can we do? And we were just talking about men and the church, and, and we thought, what are some of the reasons maybe there's some spiritual lethargy or maybe sometimes where the, the vibrancy in some of the, the brothers— I just asked him, what do you think it's attributed to? You know, what, what's your opinion? I mean, there's no right answer. What do you think? And one of the things they said was, you know, a lot of times brothers don't have consistent times where they talk to one another about how they're doing. 
and they're not the reciprocation of being there brother to brother. Sometimes brothers can tend to just want to do it on their own. And, you know, I look here at Ruth and Naomi, I go, man, this is a great situation. They're helping each other out through tough times. I say, man, you know what? I think this is what it's about. All of us need to see, you know, Ruth is not just a book for the, for, for the women. Amen? All right, we can learn, men can learn some, some lessons too. It's good to be there for one another. That's how we can help each other through the tough times when life hurts, is being there for one another. And, and, and I appreciate Naomi. I appreciate her. I believe she's like, look, you know what? I'm an Israelite. You're a foreigner. You've given up everything to be in my country. You don't know the customs here. You're just a widow, and you really don't know how to deal with life here. Let me figure out a way to get your life straightened out. Let me look into my people, my people's scriptures. Let me figure out how to take care of you. How would you even know? But you're working hard, and I appreciate you. And I appreciate Naomi kind of stepping up. And she mentions her Boaz. You know, you've been working for Boaz. He is related to us. And so really, she starts to hatch a plan that all kind of depends on Boaz. And here's where the story gets interesting. Here's Naomi's plan. All right, so tonight, Boaz, he's going to be winnowing Barney on the threshing floor. This is what I want you to do. I need you to go wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Then you want you to go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he's lying. And then go uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. Oh, right, what are you thinking? <laughs> You're like, what is going on, right? And so here I am reading this, and, and you know, you, you go, well, wow, Naomi, this is an interesting plan right here. Uh, wash, you know, wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. That can only mean one thing, right? But then you think about it, maybe, maybe Naomi's like, Ruth, I appreciate you, girl. <laughs> You're a hard-working woman, man. I mean, you're out there in the fields with the men and the women, but you need to shower. You know what I'm saying? Just, you really need to, you know, get good up under there because you got to— I don't think that was what it was. But I don't think it's only, only a sexual thing because some of your Bibles might even have a footnote right where it says, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed. Some of your Bibles might have a footnote to tell you to go to another passage. All right, just to give you an insight that maybe, just maybe, it's not only a seduction type thing. And the passage that you can go to is when David's son was, took ill and he fasted for seven days. He was fasting. No one could talk to him. He was inconsolable. And then all of a sudden, he hears his servants talking and he, he thinks, oh my gosh, is my son dead? And they go, yeah, yeah, your, your son, he has died. Then David got up, and after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. And some scholars are saying that's not this Ruth scene is not just about seduction or whatever. It's actually a, a concept in the culture of like, okay, I need to move on with my life. I need to take a—this is a, a moment in my life that's major, but I need to change direction, okay? Whew, I got to make a change. And it's almost like Ruth might be telling 
you know, Naomi might be telling Ruth, look, you're, you've been a widow, but you know what? Boaz doesn't need to see you as a widow anymore. This is a new, new beginning in your life. So it's not just, hey, put on your best clothes. You know, you might get lucky. It's not about that. Because that's how y'all think. Because we in the culture of the West. And it's all hypersexualized, right? But at the end of the day, in the original language, this is sexual language, though. You can't get around stuff like, you know, first of all, there's drinking. And it wasn't Coke Zero. You know what I'm saying? I mean... <laughs> These guys have finished harvesting a lot of men. Harvest is this time to celebrate. It's a great time, right? So they have a little wine or whatever, celebrate, right? But man, when he lies down, okay, even in the original language, that can have multiple connotations, uh, right? Uh, uh, uncover his feet. Okay, that can mean a lot of different things. And even can be euphemisms for other parts of the body. So. And then he will tell you what to do. What's he going to tell her to do, right? I mean, there's all kind of tension in this one passage, right? There's a lot of tension. So what is going to happen? All we know is that Ruth is, is supposed to go and do all this stuff, and then she's supposed to wait for Boaz to tell her what the next step is. That's what we know. That, at this point, that's all we know. When Boaz finished eating and drinking, he was in good spirits. Doesn't mean he was drunk. It's possible to have a glass of wine and to feel pretty good. Hard day's work, the harvest is in. Hanging out with some of your great friends, you have a glass of wine, you're feeling, no, life is good. Amen. He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, covered his feet, lay down. And in the middle of the night, something Startled the man. It's probably like, man, it was a draft that just came in here, and I'm a little, my feet are cold. What's going on? He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. What in the world is going on, right? A lot of things could happen in this moment, right? What, what, how could this go down? This could be, I mean, he could wake up and go, what are you doing? You are a Moabite woman in my country. You're a foreigner. I have treated you with dignity and respect. I have let you come on my property, harvest right alongside of my own people, and you're going to come and repay me and come and put my reputation at stake and come right up in here like this? Who do you think you are? And you're a slave, and I'm the landowner. I'm the most powerful man here. What are you doing? I mean, it could have gone on. It could have gone down like that. Or it could have gone down, hey, Ruth, Ruth, wow, I'm unmarried, I haven't met. I've longed for a female companionship, I appreciate the fact that you, you know how to be discreet, I appreciate that, hey, I'm the, I'm the owner, I can do whatever I want to do, what recourse do you have, if you're here, let's make this happen, I mean, it could go down like that, right, we're all adults here, okay, so how is this going to go down? All we know is that he's supposed, to tell, he's supposed to tell Ruth what to do. That's all we know. That was the plan. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. And she's supposed to shut up right there. But what does she do? And she said, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Ruth has gone off script. 
She is no longer reading the teleprompter, and we have no idea <laughs> what she's doing right here. But here's the deal. What would make her in that situation say that when she's clearly supposed to let him tell her what to do? And I believe some of this is just she has seen so much godliness in Boaz, I believe, that she's willing to risk it all and trust that he's going to respond in a godly way. And then she brings up this guardian redeemer. Again, don't have all the time in the world. But the interesting thing is that Naomi and Ruth's plan is ambitious to say the least. They're actually taking two separate biblical concepts and kind of like mashing them up, you know. Like a redeemer is, is like a legal representative of your family, right, that if you get into trouble, it could be financial trouble, your property is about to be taken, whatever, your redeemer can be someone within your family that can come in and take care of that for you, okay? They have the right to do that, to kind of take over, to help you out through a tough time, and then you can kind of, maybe when you get, life gets better, you can kind of pay them back or whatever. But that's the concept of a redeemer, and that's in Scripture. Read Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 25. But there's also another concept, <laughs> called leveret marriage, okay? And that was in the Hebrew, where if you were married, you know, and let's say the husband died, his brother had the right and, and was encouraged in Scripture to marry his own dead brother's wife, to keep the family line going in the name of the dead brother as a sign of solidarity in the family, and so his name won't be blotted out. And they give the kids hope, you know, in the future. And that was, that was something that was set up in the scripture. It, he was not bound to do it. It wasn't you are therefore commanded, but it was his right. And quite honestly, it, it seemed like it was shameful if you didn't do it. Okay? To take your dead brother's wife and try to keep the line going. But here's the, here's the deal. <laughs> Ruth's husband wasn't Boaz's brother. <laughs> they related, but there's some steps in that, you know, that, that, you know, Boaz is not the brother, you know. And so, so this plan is getting, getting Boaz to kind of conflate two concepts. This is an ambitious plan. Very ambitious. And notice what she says, spread the corner of your garment over me. You can read Ezekiel 16, verse 8 for an interesting parallel there, because this talks about marriage. But also, spread the corner of your garment over me. That's a specific thing she's saying. That word was said the first time they met. This is the first time Ruth and Boaz met, right? And, and Boaz's like, man, I've been told all about you. You know, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland, and you came to live with people you didn't know before. Verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be re richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, kanaf, you have come to take refuge. You know, Boaz is saying, you didn't just come to this place. No, you're, you're, you're under God's wing. And that word, wing, kanaf, is the same word she uses. She said, you know, you told me before. <laughs> that I was coming under the wing of God, but I see in you, Boaz, 
I see in you the answer to the prayer. You are an extension of God's wing to me. That's what I see. And I think that's a powerful, powerful moment to, for a, a Moabite woman to see so much godliness in a man like Boaz. And how does Boaz respond to this? Boaz is like, he's fired up. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, right? And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Bible people, woman of noble character. Have you ever heard that before? Is there a chapter in the Bible that talks about a, a woman of noble character? Which one? Same exact words. You're a Proverbs 31 woman. What about her looks? What about the dress that she wore? What about how she smelled? Wasn't she supposed to clean? Wasn't he supposed to notice all that? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about her character. <laughs> he's talking about her character. And he's grateful. You know, Boaz is an older dude. And he knows that, you know, Ruth could have had her pick of a lot of men, but wow, she's, she's wanting to, to be with him. But here's the deal. There's a slight challenge in this situation. And so Boaz like, you know, it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, but there's another one who's more closely related than I am. So what's he saying? I don't have, I don't have, first di- I, I don't have the right to do that. There's somebody in front of me that's closer, closer relative. So what does he say? He says, stay here for the night in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, you know what? Good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. (laughs) Lie here until the morning. So what's he saying? This is, once again, Boaz's character. How many of us, when we see something we really want? Boaz is unmarried, a a Jewish unmarried man, a Jewish land-owning, wealthy, unmarried man. That's like a unicorn. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I mean, most men... In his situation, we've already been married. And this man has character. Read about every time Boaz opens his mouth. I mean, his, his, the people that are his servants, you know, Boaz, God bless you. And he's like, God bless you. He's, got, he's respected all over the place. But he's got no wife, and he, he's grateful. He's like, I mean, what would you be feeling? Oh, my goodness, this young, incredible woman of character. I mean, a lot of us would be like, I don't care what the rules say. I'm just going to make this thing happen. Right? Let's just go to the justice of the peace right now. You know? And hey, here's the deal. How about those of you who aren't married right now? What about your steps to find a spouse? You going to cut corners? Huh? Are you going, oh, I've been, it's been so long. Surely I could just cut a couple of corners. I mean, God won't mind. I mean, here's the situation. Boaz... He could have easily taken this to another situation. But he said, I'm going to trust that if you're the right one for me, we're going to do it God's way. And if we do it God's way, we got nothing to worry about. But guess what? He's got to risk it because he could go to that other relative and that other relative could say, yes, this is what I want to do. And then Boaz would be, he'd be out. He wouldn't be able to, to be with her. So 
this shows a lot of character. And I hope that those of you that are listening to me right now who aren't married, I hope that you can gain inspiration from somebody's character who's willing to hold out for God's plan, to do it the way that God would be pleased with and not to go around and cut corners. So he lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. So what's this saying? I think this is trying to help us understand. Don't get all dirty in your thinking. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. In fact, everything that happened was something that was protecting the purity of their relationship, protecting their reputations. Nothing sexual happened. They woke up the next morning, and, and in fact, he's trying to help her out. Bring me the shawl you're wearing. Hold it out. He gave her six measures of barley, placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. He's providing for her. He's making sure that she's taken care of, but he's not taking advantage of her. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, hey, how'd it go? And then she said, she told her everything Boaz had done for her. And added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Why is that significant? You remember Ruth chapter 1. When she came back home, what did she say? I went away full, but I've come back empty. Remember, remember when Naomi said that at chapter 1? But now she ain't empty anymore, right? Boaz is making sure of that. And then Naomi says, okay, well, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until this matter is settled today. Naomi is, she bet everything on Boaz's character, and everything came up roses. She bet on the right horse, so to speak, right? Boaz has shown the type of guy who he is. And so Ruth and Naomi are both feeling very confident. So what are the lessons I think we can take away as we close, I think what I'm getting, honestly, about this study of Ruth is just move boldly in the direction of godliness. I think that's what I'm seeing. I see it at every turn in Ruth. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, remember, there was a famine. She heard the Lord was doing something. It wasn't just a change in the weather patterns. This was God intervening and giving crops to the people. She heard God was working there. Therefore, what did she do? She decided to go there. She went in the direction that she felt she saw God. Later on in chapter 1, Ruth had a decision. She could have gone. Her husband was dead. She could have gone back to her people. She could have easily done that. That was by far the easiest thing to do. But instead of going back to comfort, she decides to Hang and stick with Ruth. She said, where you go, I will go. Your God is going to be my God. She saw godliness in Ruth, and she chose to put all her life on the line for this God of Israel that she saw embodied in Ruth, I mean in Naomi. And so I, I believe, again, taking a step towards God and godliness. What about chapter 2? Remember Boaz? He said, hey, hey, whatever you do, don't go on other men's property. In other words, look, I actually read the scriptures. I believe in the scriptures of the Hebrew God. And he tells those of us that have land to not 
maximize our profits. Leave some of the grain for the poor, the widow, the foreigner. Hello, three of those, con- uh, three of those in one person, right? And he, and he even tells people, don't mess with her. Treat foreigners, treat women, treat widows with dignity. Who else was doing that? No one other than those following God and the Hebrew scriptures. Boaz was doing it. He had a woman come on his property. He could have done anything. He could have cursed her out, kicked her out, told her to get out, made demeaning remarks, tell her to go back to her country. She's not welcome here. No, he's a follower of God. And God says, that's not how you treat widows and foreigners and those who are poor. And so he says, come on my land. I'll I'll be generous to you. Mishpat in effect right there. What else? Chapter 3, Naomi's plan. What kind of plan is that? That's a plan that trusts. Okay, if Boaz has shown that he follows the scriptures when it comes to gleaning the, 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 the grain, maybe he'll follow the scriptures about the kinsman and the redeemer too. She's boldly stepping towards godliness where she hopes it'll be. What about Ruth's response? She's supposed to be quiet and just wait for him to do something. Nope, she doesn't wait. She says, I see godliness in you, and I want you to spread your garment over me. I see the protection of God in you, Boaz. I see it in you, and I'm going to put myself out there. I believe you'll take care of me. She took a bold step toward godliness. And how about Boaz's trust? God has a way for a man to get married in this situation, and I'm going to trust his plan, even if I miss out on the greatest opportunity in my life. I'm going to trust and do it God's way. That is, I see throughout the book of Ruth. We've got one more chapter to go, and I hope that you will continue to read in these scriptures. And you know what I'm fired up about? Guess what? We're about to witness a woman who's chosen to move boldly into a relationship with Christ, and we get to witness a baptism right now. So amen. (laughs) 